Preacher Larry and Miss Della and Preacher Jackson, Miss Jess, thank you uh, for your ministry. And Amen. I tell you, it's a, it's, a hum, it's a humbling thing to stand here in this pulpit and preach every Sunday with these two fellas here. And I just love them and their wives and appreciate their ministry. And God still used them. Praise God. Amen. In a mighty way. They, they, it's been said that the a man of God that he doesn't retire, he just refires. So I think these two fellas are a fine example of that. All right, Revelation 19, verse 1. It says that after these things, that's Kai Metatata in the Greek. It's the last time we're going to see that phrase. Some of you say hallelujah. Uh, this is the last time we're, we're going to see that phrase. And he said, I heard a voice of much people. I think some translations will say a great multitude. Uh, and that would include angels too, I believe. Uh, so, uh, the disciples asked Jesus a question. They said, are there a few that be saved? You know, is there just going to be a handful of people in heaven? And I think this answers that question. No, there's going to be a great multitude. And the Bible says in other places that it's a number that no man can number. Now, I know some little groups think they're the only ones that are going to go to heaven. And I've got news for them. They're going to be so shocked when they get up there. And they see people who didn't were not a part of their denomination. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? There's going to be people from all the denominations that preach the true word of God and believe the gospel. People from every racial group, every ethnicity, every language. What a beautiful thing uh, to see all of God's people worshiping together. And he says, I heard a great, great voice. It's going to be loud. This is the quietest world you'll ever live in. Uh, yeah, that's right. A great voice of most people in heaven. So the scene here is a heavenly scene. And here's what they're saying. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And you just feel free to say that during this sermon anytime that I'm preaching. Try, try to not outdo me while I'm preaching, you know. But if you feel so, so inclined, you just go ahead and say hallelujah. <coughs> or praise God. So what does hallelujah mean? It means praise the Lord. It's, a, it's two Hebrew words. Halal, halal, which means to praise, and Yah, which is the shortened form of God's name, which is Yahweh or Jehovah. So when you say hallelujah, you're saying praise Yah or praise Yahweh, praise God. Now, the first time this is used is in the book of Psalms. It's Psalm 104, 35. James, you want to read that? Yes, sir. Psalm 104, 35. Let the sinners be consumed out of the earth. Let the wicked be no more. Bless thou the Lord, O my soul. Praise you, the Lord. The interesting thing is the first time it's used is the destruction of the wicked, which is where we're at now. So there's there's kind of a symmetry there. This word hallelujah only used four times in the New Testament. Only used four times in the New Testament, right here. So hallelujah for that. Okay. Saints, hallelujah. <laughs> Salvation, glory. Now, King James, I think New King James have honor there. Some other translations don't have it. I think it's I think it belongs there. And power unto the Lord our God. Everything that we have, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. Amen. And God deserves all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. Hallelujah. Yes. Hallelujah. I was talking with a gentleman a few years ago, and he said, you know, it just seems like that's going to be so boring to get to heaven and just be praising God all the time. 
And I, I'm here to tell you, we're going to have things to do besides just worship service time. You're going to have a job to do. I know that that, that disappoints some of you. You, you know, you thought you were just going to go into retirement. But uh, there's going to be more to it than that. But let me tell you what. When you understand who Jesus is, and when you see what he's done, what he's actually done for you, not just with eyes of faith, but with eyes of sight, you're not going to have any problem praising the Lord. Amen. I mean, it's going to be just as natural as breathing oxygen is right now. Honor, power, and glory unto the Lord. Notice he's our God. He's not just a God. He's our God. And you'll see this phrase, our God, several times in this, this one uh, passage. He's personal. You can know this God. He knows you. He knows every hair on your head. He created you. You're a designer's original. And, and he's our God. Hallelujah. Verse 2 says, For true and righteous are his judgments. For he has judged the great harlot, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and has avenged her the blood of his servants at her hand. So we're praising God because he's finally brought justice to the world. And that's what the world has been waiting for all these years, right? Amen. I mean, don't we deep down want God to right all the wrongs? We do. Guess what? One day he will. They didn't. Even the world cries for justice, even though they don't acknowledge God. Right? One day it will be realized fully. I, and I wanted to go back to Genesis. In Genesis, you don't have to turn there. I've got it on the wall. James is going to read it. He just didn't know it yet. But he's going to. Um, Abraham is having a dialogue with God. God comes to Abraham's house when he's uh, 99 years old. And next year, Isaac's going to be born. Okay? And God's getting ready to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham knows it. God said, I'm not going to hide it from Abraham. Now, Abraham's got some, somebody that he loves in Sodom. Who is it? Lot. Lot. His nephew, Lot. Any of you got any unsaved loved ones? Yeah. You want to get saved? Well, Abraham starts to plead with God. And he asks him a question. In Genesis 18, 25. Would you read that, James? Yes, sir. That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. Shall, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? My goodness. To have a relationship with God, to be able to talk to him like that. Uh, Abraham was the friend of God. He says, shall not the judge of the earth do right? What's the answer to that? The answer is yes. He will. I'm going to tell you what. The devil's not going to waste much time trying to get you to doubt the existence of God. Because the Bible says the fool has said in his heart there's no God. And I'm going to tell you where he's going to focus all of his efforts. All of his efforts are going to be on the integrity of God. You know, if God really loved you, he wouldn't let this happen if God really cared about you, he wouldn't allow you to go through this difficult time. And when you go through tough times, and trust me, as a believer, you will go through difficult times. Amen. Jesus promised you that. That in this world you'll have trouble. When you're going through difficult times, Satan is going to tempt you to curse God for things that you don't know. Things that you don't understand. 
I don't know what's going on in my life half the time. How about you? I mean, I don't. Sometimes in hindsight I do. So here's, the, here's my instruction for you. When you don't know what's going on, lean on what you do know to be true. Romans 8, 28 is what we know. Paul didn't say we think, we guess, we're mildly persuaded. He says we know. You want to read that, James? Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. You say, well, I lost my job. How can that be a good thing? You know, I'm not saying that losing your job is a good thing, but I'm saying God may be using that for something even better for you. Amen. Now, I had somebody tell me just recently, and, uh, and to somebody that, did, that, that doesn't have a spiritual mind, they, would, they wouldn't understand. But they told me, they said, getting cancer was the best thing that ever happened to me. Because I was able to prioritize my life. And, and I realized there were some areas where God wasn't first. And, and to the natural mind, the natural mind doesn't understand that. But see, if you understand that God works things, all things together for good, that means even my setbacks, even my disappointments, God's working on me. Even my failures. I'm preaching to somebody this morning. Even my failures, God can turn them around and work them for my good. Joseph went through some terrible things, didn't he, in his life. Suffered at the hands of his brothers. And he told his brothers, when, when the time came and he could have had revenge, he said, I know you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. To save many people alive. So when you're going through things and you don't understand, lean on what you know to be true. Alright, we're going to verse 3 now. And again they said, Hallelujah. So there's a, 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 another chorus of hallelujah here. And her smoke rose up forever. Now this is echoes of uh, the destruction of Edom uh, from Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah 34, 9 and 10. Isaiah 34, 9 and 10. And the strings thereof shall be turned into pitch, and the dust thereof into brimstone, and the land thereof shall become burning pitch. It shall not be quenched night or day. The smoke shall, uh, therefore, shall go up forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. So it's going to be utterly destroyed. It's going to be utterly destroyed. And, um, and those who are associated with that, they're going to be tormented forever and ever. Verse 4, Revelation 19. We see a group that we've seen before. And we're going to see them for the last time. Who are they? 24 elders and the four living creatures. Now, who are the 24 elders? Man, if y'all get this wrong, I'm just going to quit today. Church. The church. Thank you. The 24 elders. And I did a whole video on that on, on YouTube, if you're confused about it. Go back and watch it. The 24 elders... And the four living creatures, what does it say they did? They fell down and worshiped God. They fell down and worshiped God. Amen. The last time we see the 24 elders, how fitting it is that they fall down and worship God. <laughs> they 
fall down and worship the Lord. I believe that there needs to be a time, whether it's corporately, but especially individually, where we fall down on our faces and worship and acknowledge God as creator and sustainer of the universe, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You know why? Because you're going to be doing this in eternity. You might as well get some practice here now. Praise Him. This is what we're going to be doing, guys. I mean, this is us. They fell down and they worshiped God that sat on the throne. I don't care who's in the White House, God's on the throne. I don't care who the Prime Minister or the Crown Prince of wherever is, God is on the throne. And He's in control. And they fell down on the throne and they said, Amen. Hallelujah. You know, Amen and Hallelujah are not just churchy words. Amen. Now, I borrowed this from the Christian, uh, 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 the Institute for Christ, uh, Creation Research, Dr. Henry Mars. James, will you want to read that quote off of there? It's about the word amen. The word amen is a most remarkable word. It is transliterated directly from the Hebrew into the Greek of the New Testament, then into Latin and into English and many other languages so that it is practically a universal word. It has been called the best known word human speech. Amen. So if you're in a foreign country, you don't know how to communicate with anybody, just say amen. No, don't, don't say it without knowing. Uh, amen means so be it. Or let it, uh, you know, let it be true. That's why we say that at the end of our prayers. That's one of Jesus' titles is the amen. You know what else is a universal word? Hallelujah. People understand that all over the world, too. Now, a voice came from the throne. Don't know whose voice it is. But he says, praise who? Our God. Our God. Not just a God. Our God. Praise our God. All you his service. The Greek word is doulos. means slave. All right, let's talk about this for just a minute. It's interesting that the apostles, when they were giving their credentials, they didn't tell you how many years they had been in ministry. They didn't tell you how many degrees they had. That, that's what, that wasn't their lead-in. They announced themselves as the slaves of God. All right? How does Paul announce himself in Romans 1 there, James? Romans 1, 1. Paul servant of Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Alright, what about the apostle Peter? 2 Peter 1.1 Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Alright, well that's Peter and Paul. But what about Jesus' brothers? You know, Jesus has some brothers and sisters. Half-brothers, anyway. What about James' half-brother? Leader of the early church. James 1.1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. Well, what about Jude? He's the other brother. Jude 1.1. Jude, the servant of Christ and brother of James, 
for them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Notice Jude doesn't even call himself the brother of Jesus. He calls himself the brother of James. Right? Now tell the truth. If Jesus was your half-brother, wouldn't you be going around telling everybody? <laughs> I get people calling me wanting to preach all the time, and the first thing they want to tell me is, I've been in the ministry for 30 some odd years, I've written so many books, I, you know, I went to Dallas Theological Seminary, and all, and all that's great, you know, praise God for all of that stuff. I'll tell you what, Jesus is my brother, I'd be like, you know what, you need to get me to come preach because Jesus is my brother. <laughs> I mean, if anybody knows anything about Jesus, it's me. We had Raisin Bran together. You know, or whatever Jesus said. He didn't make Raisin Bran, I'm sure. We had fish together. But not these guys. They didn't appeal to their credentials as earthly relatives of Christ, but only their relationship to Him as, as Lord and Savior. Amen. Right? And them as the slaves of God. All right. Now, there's another phrase in Revelation... 19. Praise Him, all your servants, and you that fear Him. How many of you know the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? Amen. The smartest thing you could ever do is fear the Lord. And I don't mean to be afraid of Him, but I mean to reverence Him, to honor Him. Both small and great. Now this is a merism. A merism just means everybody. Everybody. Um, think like near and far, high and low, that's a merism. Lock, stock, and barrel, that's a merism. Hook, line, and sinker. sinker but the small and the great. And you know the Lord just kind of quickened this to me this week. And I just hope this will bless somebody. I, I just wanted to bless somebody. That uh, a, a lot of us are discouraged because God gives us what we perceive to be a small assignment. And I want to tell you what. There are no small assignments in God's kingdom. There, there are not. I don't care what it is that, that God has called you to do. Now, when I started off in ministry, and here I am giving my credentials, but I started in 1997. You can do the math. And I didn't start out preaching in a pulpit somewhere. I didn't start out holding crusades. You know how I started out? I started out in a nursing home, uh, ministering in a nursing home uh, called Carrington Place in Matthews. And what I would do every Sunday, I would drive there before uh, preaching. And we would go around to the rooms. And they wouldn't gather the people for me. I wish they'd have done that. They didn't do that. I had to go around to every room. Most of them were in a wheelchair or a walker. And I said, do you want to go to church? And some, and some of them would say yeah. And some of them would say no, get out of here. And that's okay too. And I would wheel them into this little room. And it was like a, it was their recreational room. There was a piano in there. It was out of tune. But there was a piano in there. And there was an industrial, uh, there was a kitchen right adjacent to it with an industrial dishwasher, commercial dishwasher. So every time I would make a point, and I didn't have a microphone like I do today, I would make my point, and then they would run the dishwasher. And I'd have to wait for it to cycle through, you know, before I could make my next point. And they would heavily medicate half of the residents, and so half of them were asleep while I was preaching. Say we can relate to that preacher. You put us to sleep too. <laughs> hey, I've had years of experience doing it. Okay, I'm good at what I do. And I would put, I would wheel them in there, and I would preach my heart out. And then God promoted me to a Sunday school class. And one of the uh, one of the individuals, the, the Sunday school superintendent, came to me 
And they said, Brother Haney, we feel like you would be a great candidate to teach the, the high school Sunday school class. And the reason he said that is because nobody else wanted to do it. <laughs> nobody wanted to do it. And I, and I, but I was so eager, and I said, yes, I'll do it. And they said, okay, we cleaned out this closet for you. It was like a broom closet. They cleaned it out for my classroom. And, uh, and for about, I don't know, three months, four months, six months, I had one student. And he wasn't real regular. And one time he was in the parking lot. He, didn't, he wouldn't even come in. I had to go out and get him because his mama brought him, but he didn't want to come inside. And I thought, I've studied that now. I'm going to teach this lesson. And I taught that lesson week after week after week. And eventually, by the time I left, uh, I, I got, became a youth pastor there. Okay? And we went from having no youth to by the time I left, the, the God had blessed that. We had about 20. It was a strong youth group. And it had nothing to do with me. But I'm just, I'm just showing you there's no small assignments, you know, in, in, this, in, this, in this, uh, this kingdom work. So if you're teaching a, a class of one person, two people, three people, don't lose heart. You faithfully do what God calls you to do. Faithfully do what God calls you to do. You see, God doesn't measure greatness the way we do. See, there's going to come a day of reckoning. And Brother Lynn was singing about that earlier. And God's not going to judge us. Based on the size of our ministry, he's going to base he's going to judge us based on the faithfulness, our faithfulness to do it. James, there's there's two scriptures there from Matthew 25. They're they're not in exact sequence. So if you could give the reference when you read them. Yes, Matthew 25:15. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability. And straightway took his journey. All right, pause right there. Notice God didn't give everybody the same assignment. Yes. He gave some uh, five, some two, and some one. And he says, everyone according to his ability. See, some of us are one, you know, we're a, we're a one talent person. And talent doesn't mean playing an instrument or, you know, playing a guitar or something. It, a talent is a resource. Some of us have got one, and we're jealous of the one that's got five. You see? But God says he gives every man according as he's able to manage that. You see? So don't begrudge the day of small beginnings. Because God will train you in that one talent to make you a five-talent person. But if you're never faithful in the one talent, you'll never be a five-talent person. Okay? God gives you according to your ability. All right? Would you read that next verse? Matthew 25, 23. His Lord said unto him, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Unto thou and to the joy of the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. Notice he says you've been faithful. Not talented, but faithful. Over a lot of stuff? Is that what he said? Over a few things. Just be faithful in that thing that you think is so small that's really great in the mind of God. And one day your joy will be full. Amen? Amen. All right. Back to Revelation. Verse 6. I heard the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, what? Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. Hallelujah is the word of heaven. And the reason they're saying hallelujah, and notice John's using all these similes, like and as. 
It's as water, it's light, you know, thunder. It's because he can't really describe the magnitude, the enormity. Words fail. I'm going to tell you what, there's some experiences with God, if you'll get along with God, where words will fail to be able to describe what they are. And they said, hallelujah. And there's a reason that they're saying hallelujah. It says, for the Lord, God. Now the King James says omnipotent there. And that's, uh, that's okay. That's perfectly fine. The Greek word, I won't make you pronounce it, James, because I can barely do it myself, is pantocrator. Pantocrator. You want to say it like ten times? No, I don't either. <laughs> the all-ruling, that is God, the absolute universal sovereign, the almighty, omnipotent. He's all-powerful, guys. God is all-powerful. Genesis 17, and again, Abram, he's, uh, he's 90, uh, 99 years old, and uh, Abraham's got a problem. He's got a problem. So he, he wants a son, and he's, 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 uh, he's past the age now, and Sarah's barren, and so he's got, a, he's got something he's got to overcome, right? Would you read that, James? Uh, Genesis 17, 1. This is the first time the word Almighty is used. That's why I use this reference here. This is the precedent. First time Almighty is used. Genesis 17, 1. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God, El Shaddai. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Let me be all right. <laughs> God says, you don't need to worry about whether Sarah's going to have this baby or you're going to be able to accomplish this because I am El Shaddai. I'm all powerful. Let me ask you something this morning. Do any of you have any problems that you need help with this morning? Everybody in here, right? You need to view your problem in relation to your God. And your God, the Bible says, is all powerful. He is all powerful. Do you believe that? Yes. He's El Shaddai. Nothing is too hard for him. All right. And it says he reigns. Our God, the Almighty, reigns. Verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. Let's just stop there. Now, the first time this is this this pair of being glad and rejoicing is done in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 5, 11, and 12. Matthew 5, 11, and 12. Blessed are ye, and men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil things against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Alright, so God says, we're going to suffer now, but one day we're going to rejoice and be glad. Cares all past, home at last, ever to rejoice, ever to rejoice. Now back to Revelation 7, there's a reason for rejoicing. 
says, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. Amen. Oh, boy. We're not talking about the harlot anymore. Now we're going to talk about the bride. Amen. That old harlot, she's arrayed with gold and pearls and all that stuff. Filthy on the inside, pretty on the outside. But this bride is just something altogether different. So you might have to put your shouting shoes on here. I don't know. If you're if you're of that persuasion. <laughs> Some of you aren't. That's okay. Alright. Rejoice. The marriage of the Lamb has come in the Greek. Is here. And his wife has made herself ready. Let's go ahead and read the rest of that. And to her was granted. Notice it's given to her. That she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Now that word righteousness in the Greek is plural. So some of your translations it will say righteous acts. Because that's, that's what it means. So here's where um, faith and works comes in together. We are saved by grace through faith. Not of works that any man should boast. But, but there is that, uh, there's a sense that when our righteous deeds are part of our adornment. That's what we do for Him. And the only reason we can do for Him is because He's working in us. So it, it, all glory to Him. Every bit of it to Him. And He said unto me, Right, blessed. This is one of seven Beatitudes in the book of Revelation. Imagine that, there's seven of them. Are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb... And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. Now we're going to talk a little bit, just briefly, about the Jewish wedding model. A lot of people are confused about the rapture and the tribulation period because they don't understand the, the Jewish wedding model. And, and so they're, they're trying to put the church in a place where she doesn't belong. Uh, the bride is going to be in heaven while the tribulation is going on. The bride's not going to be enduring the wrath of God. And what a sad thought. What a sad thought that people won't, uh, are, are confused about that. But anyway, let's talk a little bit about the Jewish wedding uh, model. There's several stages. We'll go through these fairly quickly. Number one is the arrangement. They had a, arranged marriages in, in the Eastern culture. How many of you would like for us to go back to that? No? No takers? And a lot of times it was done when the kids were really young. Now, can you imagine being on the playground? You know, with little Sally. And they said, who's this little girl here? And you say, that's my wife. I thought it was funny. I'm sorry. Um, there's, it's an arranged marriage. Yeah, there, there were a lot of older May-December romances, uh, you know. I, I got all this from Arnold Fruchtenbaum. He's the Messianic Jew, and I figured he'd be the best authority to share this, this information with you. He said that his grandparents met on their wedding day for the first time. With marriage. You know? Wow. All right. Okay, at this point... Um, the down payment would be made, they would call it a dowry. Okay? The father would pay the father of the bride 
the dowry. And, and that would also serve in case the, the thing fell through as a means of income for her. So in this wedding system, the application for us is that God paid the bride price. All right, James, would you read um, the dowry verses here? John 3.16 and Ephesians 5.25. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Ephesians 5.25. Husband, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. All right. So the next step is a preparation. They would be betrothed for at least one year, and that was to prove the purity of the bride. And that was a legally binding contract, by the way. You remember when, uh, when, when Mary was pregnant and they found out what was Joseph going to do? He was going to divorce her. It was, it was a legally binding thing, he was, and, and God intervened in that. But um, this would be at least for a year, and it was to prove the purity of the bride. Right, James? Uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 11 2. 2 Corinthians 11.2 For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy for I have espoused you one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Okay, so we're and this is not Israel. Israel is a, a, a divorced wife in the Old Testament. That's how the idiom is there. The church is however a virgin. And so that's, that's why we have the imagery of that's why the church is the bride of Christ and not Israel. All right, how about Ephesians? Ephesians 5.26. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. 5.27. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And only God can do that. Only God can do that. Next comes the fetching of the bride. That's when the uh, the groom comes to get the, the bride. First Thessalonians yes, sir. 4 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be called together with them in the clouds to meet to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. You can see this custom in, in the parable of the ten virgins. The ten virgins are not the bride, okay? They're the attendants. But but it's, that's depicted in that parable. It's, the groom is coming at a time unaware, you know, in the middle of the night, and he's coming. To get us, and I believe that day is closer than it's ever been. Amen. I'm not looking for the Antichrist, I'm looking for Christ. Amen. I'm not looking for signs, I'm listening for the sound of the trumpet. Alright, number four is the ceremony. That's where we're at in Revelation, by the way. That's we're at the wedding ceremony. And there's no details given. You know what? Is this a private moment? In the Jewish wedding, the uh, the ceremony took place at the home of the groom and the father's house. In the father's house, that's where the ceremony took place. It was private. Only family would be there. Amen. <laughs> Only family would be there. No demons, no unbelievers, no devils. Only the family would be there. 
Now how is the bride finally made spotless and purified at the judgment seat of Christ? At the judgment seat of Christ, God's going to strip away every impurity. Else. Did you know that we won't be perfect when we arrive at heaven? Did you know that? that that's hard for some to, uh, to understand. But when we get to heaven, God's still got to deal with some stuff. And we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, it's not going to be a salvation issue, thank God. It's not going to be like we get up there and God says, yeah, I changed my mind. That's not it. But our works will be judged. Not our sins, but our works. James, would you read that passage? 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 15. 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 15. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Yet so by, as by fire. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? Alright, the next step is the wedding feast. Now in Revelation 19, if you'll notice in verse uh, 9, it says, Blessed are they who are called or invited. So the wedding supper the marriage has taken place. The wedding supper has not taken place yet. Only the invitation has been given out. Okay? The invitation has been given out uh, to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, the, this, this feast doesn't just include the bride and the groom's family, but now there are extended friends and family at the feast. And that will take place on the earth when Christ returns. Uh, in Matthew, I, I love this verse, Matthew 8, uh, 11. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Where are they going to sit down? At the marriage supper of the Lamb. If you're a born again believer, you're going to sit down at the table with Daniel, with Noah, with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, with King David, with Gideon, with Solomon, with Isaiah, with Jeremiah. You're going to sit down with Joseph. You're going to sit down with Moses. He's going to tell you what it was like to walk across the Red Sea on dry ground. Daniel's going to tell you what it was like to sleep in the lion's den. Hallelujah. Noah's going to tell you about all those days he spent on the ark, trusting God. And they're going to be rejoicing along with you. And it's going to be a time like you cannot imagine. And every one of our loved ones that has gone on to be with the Lord, they're not gone. They're not gone. Matter of fact, they're going to rise first, the Bible says. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with you. Now, John the Baptist understood this. John the Baptist understood that he was not the groom and he was not the bride. He's a friend of the bridegroom. James, would you read that? John 3, 29. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, 
rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. See, John's not bitter that he's not part of the bride because he will have his own reward. Daniel 12 tells us that the resurrection of the Old Testament saints happens after the tribulation period. Don't have time to go into that. Uh, you'll just have to trust me today. And if you don't trust me, just call me later and I'll explain it to you. You shouldn't be here if you don't trust me anyway. <laughs> Why would you listen to somebody you don't trust? All right. The next thing, and this will be the last thing we talk about the Jewish wedding custom. The home of the bride. You see, it was customary for the groom to go away and build on an addition to his father's house. That's what happened. Now, a lot of people don't understand what Jesus was talking about in the upper room because they don't know the customs of the Jewish wedding. All right, James, you want to read that? John uh, 14. John 14, 2. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. Or I go to prepare a place for you. Now, I know we're all accustomed to the King James' mansions, and that's okay. Because whatever God's got is far superior to anything we've got here on earth. Amen. You know, you think about what a shack would be here would be a mansion up there. I mean, you know, the, the lowliest thing in heaven would be a mansion compared to anything down here. But it, in, in keeping with the Jewish tradition, I think rooms or dwelling places is probably a better translation here. That's what Jesus was trying to explain to them. Now, they're heartbroken. And Jesus is trying to explain to these heartbroken disciples, guys, I've got to go away because I'm the groom and you're the bride. And the only way that this wedding is ever going to happen is if I leave and I go to the Father's house and I prepare a place for you. And he says, if I go prepare a place for you, I, I'll, I'll come again and I'll receive you into myself that where I am, heaven, the Father's house, there you may be also. Okay? And God's prepared a city for us. Revelation 21, verses 9 and 10. Notice how the bride is connected with the city. Revelation 21, 9 and 10. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues. And talk with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. So notice how the inhabitants of Babylon are identified with Babylon. The inhabitants of the New Jerusalem are identified with her. The bride is identified with the New Jerusalem. And we're going to talk about that in a few weeks, Lord willing. All right, back to Revelation 19, last, last verses here. He saith unto me, these are the true saints of God. Now, oh my goodness, what happens to Brother John in verse 10? <laughs> I'm so glad this is in the Bible, and I bet John hated to have to write it down. I bet he did. Well, I don't know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't intrude into his thoughts. I'll put it this way. I would have wanted to have put it down. If I had been one writing the book of Revelation, I probably would have redacted this part. <laughs> no, I would have done what God told me to do. And that's what John's doing. John's doing what God told him to do. But I'm so glad that it happened. For his sake, not so much, but for my sake. Okay. It says in verse 10, 
I fell at his feet to worship him. Good grief. Now John has seen angels, but he's also seen Jesus, right? So he knows the difference between Jesus and an angel. Would you agree with that? You would think. One, one would surmise. But John is so, he's so caught up in everything that's going on that he falls down. That's the same thing as the 24 elders do. They fall down. And John falls down to worship the angel. <laughs> and the angel was real short with him. I can't really capture it in the Greek, but basically stop that is what he's saying. Stop it. Don't do that. He said, I'm your fellow servant. The angels are fellow servants of God. And of your brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship who? God. God. Oh my. All glory belongs to God. God is not going to share his glory with anybody. James, would you read Isaiah 42? Isaiah 42, verse 7. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Don't ever try to take the glory that belongs to God. Man, I see preachers do this mess all the time. Don't do it. God's not going to share his glory with another. We love the glory in people, don't we? Look, I appreciate all the gratitude you've shown me. Don't ever put me on a pedestal. Which I, I, know, I know I don't have to worry about you worshiping me, right? Nobody's going to do that. But don't put me on some pedestal. I'm just like you. And don't think for a minute that the devil don't whoop me when I fall and when I sin and when I fall short. Whatever conviction you feel, he comes to me tenfold with it. And, and, and I hate it. But don't put me on a pedestal. All glory belongs to God. Amen. Now think about how embarrassing this must have been for John. First uh, John, would you read that? First John, five twenty-one. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. My goodness, John's the one who told the Christian church, "Don't worship anything but God." You think this is embarrassing for him to write this down? That he that he called. It? We're going to find out it happens not once but twice. This is the first time that it happens. You know, there are times that you and I are not going to practice what we preach. And, and that's a shame. But there's going to be times when we fall short and the devil is going to come in your ear and say, oh, you must not be saved. You must not be this or that. You need to remember that even John wasn't perfect. This is recorded to let us know that the men in the Bible are human. All right, the last part of Revelation 10. Don't worship me, he says. Worship God. Because he says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now the theologians are arguing, they argue about what exactly this means. I'm going to give you my little dummy pea brain interpretation. It's all about Jesus. Everything is about him. Uh, James, would you read? This is the last slide. You can breathe a sigh of relief. James, would you read these, those verses up on the board and give the reference? John 5 39. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Luke 24 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you, which I was yet with you. 
that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Every page of the Old and the New Testament is pointing to the, the fact that Jesus Christ is the point of the whole Bible. Everything that you read is about Jesus. Would you stand? There is a great call that's gone out in the book of Revelation. And it says that blessed is the one who's called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I've never met a bride that wasn't excited for her wedding day. Not, not one time. But if you'll notice in this narrative, the focus is not on the bride, but on the groom. And this groom is still inviting people to the wedding to become a part of his bride. You can be a part of the greatest event in human history, which is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus died for your sins on the cross. He rose again. And he says, if you will believe in me, trust in me, repent of your sin, be born again, you too can enter the kingdom of God. So I invite you today to come just as you are. Amen.